Gospel reading is from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Thanks be to God for his word. If you'd like to take your seats again, we'll work our way through this passage. Simeon, we're told, was living in expectation of seeing the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the consolation of Israel. And this stands in contrast to the very politically focused hopes of so many Jews at that time under the jackboot of Roman occupation. The consolation Simeon desired was not the the fulfilment of Jewish political hopes involving deliverance from their enemies and the restoration of David's throne in Israel, but rather the salvation that Jesus actually brought. Simeon looked for the sort of consolation that Jesus pronounced in Luke 19.10 when he talks about salvation coming to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. As the Apostle Paul emphasized in his letter to the Christians in Rome, true salvation means a relationship with God embraced by faith and not earned by works. And this salvation far surpasses the the ethnic boundaries of being physically descended from Abraham. Paul says this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his Offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. This salvation is prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, says Simeon, not killing them all and booting them out of the country. 
and for the glory of your people Israel. The Holy Spirit told Simeon that he wouldn't die before seeing the Lord's anointed. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple court just as Mary and Joseph arrive with the baby Jesus. Taking Jesus into his arms, Simeon praises God, blesses Joseph and Mary, and gives Mary what we might call a word of knowledge. <clears throat> now, Simeon can be understood to contrast two groups of people. One that, that falls and rises, that is, that, that humbles itself and is lifted up by God. Another group of people who speak against God's signpost to salvation. Thus, Simeon echoes here Mary's own hymn of praise, just a little earlier in Luke's Gospel, where she speaks of how God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, but has lifted up the humble. That's Luke 1, 51-52. Simeon says that by their response to Jesus, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. It's interesting to look at the Greek behind this particular saying, because the word that's translated here as, as thoughts means specifically antagonistic or evil thoughts. The use of this term continues Simeon's presentation of Jesus as a sign that will be rejected by many. Again, the Greek word translated as hearts, cardia, encompasses a person's intellect as well as their, uh, their feelings and their will, their emotions and so on. In other words, as some people come to understand Jesus as God's revelation, so Jesus reveals the inner antagonism to God's light that they have. Some of these people may allow themselves to be humbled or brought low by this encounter, joining those humble souls who hunger for the good things of God's kingdom. Look back to Luke 1.53. As Mary says, God's mercy extends to those who fear him. Luke 1.50. Paul, likewise, holds out hope that although Jesus was what he calls a stumbling stone to the Jews, Israel did not stumble so as to fall beyond recovery. Romans 11. Not at all, he says. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their, that is the Jews, full inclusion bring? For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. In this light, what are we to make of Simeon's comment to Mary that a sword will pierce through or pass through your own soul also? Of course, the most common interpretation of this saying 
is that it refers to the sorrow that Mary would experience in seeing her own son rejected and crucified. However, this comment likely alludes to the fact that Mary would also stumble and experience difficulty in her son's mission, as is recorded later in Luke's Gospel. William C. Nicholas Jr. explains that family ties will not render Mary exempt from making a conscious choice to follow or reject Jesus' teaching. Jesus says, uh, for example, in Matthew 10.34, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, a sword of division between people as they react to him. Now, as would appear from the the very Mary-centric perspective of these early chapters of Luke, and, for example, John's record that Mary was at the crucifixion when all the disciples had run away, it would, of course, appear that Mary chose to follow Jesus. But each of us faces that same choice, and we face it on a daily basis. This choice is not one of those things that you just make once and that's done and dusted. It is an ongoing act of commitment to following Jesus or not following Jesus. For as C.S. Lewis once said, the one thing Christianity can't be is moderately important. Either it is untrue, in which case it's of no importance at all. Or it's true. In which case it demands your whole life. Amen.